Well, distracted driving uh, is dangerous. Uh, Statistically speaking, you're four times more likely to be in an accident if you are using your mobile phone while driving. Uh, There are reasons why our government recently has been putting in those mobile phone cameras you see over the centenary and elsewhere. Uh, There are reasons we have strict rules for P-platers, what times uh, they can have people in their cars while driving, the use of their phone and GPS equipment and other things, Uh, and even in New South Wales, what speed you're capped at while driving. Uh, When it comes to sitting in the wheel of a big chunk of heavy metal that has capacity to go at ridiculous speeds, there are good reasons the government wants you to keep your eyes firmly set on the road in front of you. Well, in Corinth, there were people who needed to keep their eyes firmly set on Jesus. They had to keep their eyes firmly set on Christ crucified. But things began to happen in this church. Uh, Their eyes were moved off or were tempted to be moving off Christ crucified and they were being placed on people uh, with varying but probably impressive gifts uh, and abilities. And now while this might seem a little bit trivial at first, uh, the Corinthians began celebrating these what I would call cults of personality. Uh, They began dividing and, and arguing with each other to such an extent that their witness to the gospel as a unified church of God, was beginning to be at stake. You see, the the cult of personality, this this idea of following someone because of their uh, charisma or perhaps their intellect uh, or even their giftings, while it might seem like a wise thing to do, to, to pick and choose, it might seem like the smart thing, we can also fall into the trap of what I would call hero worship, right? taking our eyes off the road in front of us or in this case, off the gospel, off the very thing that saves us, as we associate ourselves more and more with these heroes of our faith, forming little camps over here and little camps over there. And the danger is that when taken too far, or when misunderstood, the church can begin to fracture. Uh, For example, if we think that your local small church pastor isn't someone worth listening to because there's so many other better preachers out there. Well, perhaps this is the beginning of some of these ideas forming in our minds. Uh, In late 2010, I was packing my bags to go to mainland China on a short-term exposure trip uh, for about a month. And while I was packing my bags, I was also packing into my little MP3 player a whole bunch of sermons. Uh, So here I am at a computer, uh, downloading things from Tim Keller, uh, John Piper, Don Carson. And I did this because while I was overseas, kind of separated from the homeland, I wanted to keep myself engaged and encouraged in the gospel. Uh, I didn't load the MP3 player with sermons from my local church because why would you do that when with this magic of the internet, you can download the best of the best. And so I chose uh, this amazing combination of preachers because I thought they were the best. Uh, They were the ones that everyone was raving about. If you were a true Christian back in 2010, Tim Keller was the guy you listened to. Don Carson was the guy you listened to. John Piper, even Driscoll at the time. If you were committed to the cause, these were the guys you had to listen to. And as we'll soon see here in the beginning of 1 Corinthians, this type of behaviour, this type of hero worship, separating into camps, can become extremely dangerous. 
and it can risk fracturing the unity of the church. And so if you have an outline that you've picked up on the way in, uh, we're going to begin at point one, unity troubles plague the Corinthian church. Now, this evening we're going to do uh, something a little naughty. We're going to skip Paul's introduction in verses 1 to 9. We will come back to those a little bit later, but we're going to go straight down uh, and cut to the chase from verse 11. So in verse 11, Paul writes, My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. And another, I follow Cephas. It's just another name for Peter, that one. And still another, I follow Christ. Now, the first question that's going through our minds is what's actually going on here? Are we not allowed to have our favourite preachers? Are we not allowed to have that kind of go-to preacher for all our sermons? Well, in Corinth, it seems that this was more than simply thinking that uh, Apollos is a better preacher than Paul, uh, or that QTC is a better college than more, which it is, by the way. No, it seems that there are actual divisions and fights breaking out in Corinth, uh, even spilling into the public sphere as later on we hear about them taking one another to court even. Specifically here in verse 12, Paul has heard from Chloe's household that some are saying, literally, I belong to Paul, right? I belong to Apollos. That's my guy. That is, they don't just hit subscribe to their YouTube channel. They, they actively think that the person they're following is superior to the others and that they, by extension, are superior to everyone else for doing so. The problem is they've moved beyond preferring one leader over the other. Uh, it's, it's, I follow this celebrity pastor to the exclusion of all the others. The church in Corinth, it seems, has splintered uh, into at least four primary groups from what Paul says here, each following their own own celebrity pastor. Uh, And so with this, we're going to very briefly uh, have a look at these four groups uh, and see what's going on here. So if we turn our attention to this first group, the the Paul group, uh, presumably this group loved Paul because he was the reason so many of them believed in Corinth in the first place. Uh, In fact, in chapter 4, you'd see Paul proudly saying that in Christ Jesus, he became their father through the gospel. Uh, Many in Corinth would perhaps have felt incredibly indebted to Paul for their salvation. Uh, If I cast our eyes forward to chapter 6 even, Paul lists off a bunch of sinful lifestyles and he concludes saying, and that is what some of you were, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So many of these people that Paul is writing to, they heard the gospel of their salvation being justified in the name of the Lord Jesus through Paul and they had their lives transformed by it. In fact, even today, when when you have people in your life who love the King who patiently lead you out of sin and towards him, especially if they had led you out of a former active rebellion to him, as we see here in 1 Corinthians, these sorts of people tend to leave a permanent mark on our hearts. You never really forget the person that brought you to Jesus. 
or the person who was critical for the penny finally falling for you. And I suspect this is true of those who fall in the I follow Paul camp from what we've seen here. Uh, Undoubtedly, they thought he was the best, which makes anything else after him a mere supporting act. And with this, we come to uh, the second group of people. Uh, These are the ones that follow Apollos. Now, we're not told a huge amount about Apollos, uh, but we do have in our Bibles in Acts 18, I think tells us enough about what's going on here. So in Acts 18, we read that Apollos, he's described as someone who was born in Alexandria. Uh, That's basically the elite education centre of the Mediterranean, like the first century Ivy League in some sense. We learn that he had a thorough knowledge of the scriptures, that is the Old Testament, and that he spoke with great fervour and taught about Jesus accurately. Uh, And this included in the synagogues even. And that he was a great help to those who believed, and he would vigorously refute his Jewish opponents in public debate, proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. It's a pretty amazing account of this man. Uh, He's the type of guy that would just obliterate you in a debate and then just drop the mic. That's Apollos. He is an impressive guy. And when we consider this, uh, it's no wonder that he gained a following in Corinth. This guy, he was bold, he was brave, he was articulate, he was intelligent, he knew how to exegete and argue from the scriptures. And if you compare this with Paul, in his own words, uh, who himself admits, my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words. And later in in his second letter to the Corinthians, in in 2 Corinthians 10.10, where he summarizes what other, other people think of him, he says, Paul's letters are weighty and forceful, But in person, he is unimpressive. And his speaking, well, it amounts to nothing. You can really see that that when we compare these two, we're talking apples and oranges, particularly when it comes to their public speaking abilities. Uh, Paul, from what it seems, is not the guy that you would have doing team-building exercises at work or anything like that. And so it's not really hard to see why some would clearly make the choice to follow the more eloquent, the more bold Uh, Apollos over Paul. Uh, The third group of people, uh, these follow Peter, uh, in your NIVs, which says Cephas. Uh, And there are any number of reasons for this. Uh, We don't really know. It could be that he was one of the original apostles. Uh, You know, like KFC, the original recipe just sometimes hits right. Uh, It could be that in the Jewish circles, he represented them better Uh, We know from Acts 9, for example, that Paul, his main mission, he was called to be God's instrument to the Gentiles. And so perhaps this is why some preferred Peter. Or maybe he simply had a a following because compared to Paul and Apollos, this guy, he's a blue-collar fisherman, right? He's not an elite. He's not this educated man like Paul or Apollos. Uh, Rather, Paul, uh, Peter, sorry, was a man of the people. Um, Who knows? could be any of these things could be a combination could be all of them at any rate we know the third group of people they're the ones that follow peter and the last group uh, this is perhaps the strangest one of all uh, this is the christ group i belong to christ and it's strange because <clears throat> if your first uh, instinct is like mine you're probably thinking isn't this what we're meant to be 
Aren't we meant to be exclusive, single-minded followers of Jesus? But strangely enough, Paul lumps this in with all of the other groups. And so if we're following his logic correctly here, this group of people, according to Paul, is also responsible for division in Corinth, believe it or not. But what exactly was this last group doing to stir up division? Well, I suspect this uh, Christ party uh, it may have evolved out of seeing all of this hero worship going on. They see people going, yeah, I follow Apollos, I follow Paul, I follow Peter. He's the one for me. And they've decided, no, nah, you're all wrong. And as a knee-jerk response, they appeal straight to God as their authority. And this might sound nice. It might sound right even. Except if we follow the logic, this is a fierce, and I would even argue dangerous, rejection of any human authority. This rejection of human authority kind of begins to emerge out of this, and the danger with this is that it naturally leads to a distrust of any human authority. So things like denominations, for example, no. Confessions, get rid of them. Creeds, no. They're all unnecessary, or at worst, these things are a hindrance to the gospel. The problem with this approach to living as a Christian by bypassing human authority, to put it bluntly, is that it denies a lot of our history, but it also denies even the Great Commission because it underplays the very instrument, that is, you and I, who Jesus said God would use to teach and proclaim his word. Now, this may not be too much of a shock to some of you, uh, but to others here tonight, it might be news to you that, that God uses humans to accomplish his purposes. We are his instruments in this world. In fact, this is exactly why the Jamaludans are going back to Thailand. You see, the Thai people need to hear about Jesus, and the way God does this is through the faithful proclamation of his word through his people. So we need to be wary of anyone, even today, who show arrogant signs of being in this exclusive Christ group, who hate the idea of following any human authority. So as we step back, we can see the, the believers in Corinth, uh, they should be united by the gospel, but, but they're not. Uh, in fact, they're dividing themselves along party lines Uh, dividing the believers into superior and inferior camps depending on who they claim to belong to. And this division among God's people, according to Paul, is a massive problem that needs to be addressed. And so as we press on to point two, we see that Paul reminds the Corinthians of who they really are in Christ. And that's point two. Paul reminds the Corinthians of who they are. So, like a good game of leapfrog, uh, we skipped over the introduction. We are going to come back to that now. Uh, we dive straight into the juicy parts. Uh, but we're going to step back into the introduction, and in light of what we've just read and what we've seen, uh, we want to take a brief look at how Paul begins the letter. Uh, because when we know what's the, the main issue that's at hand in this passage, it begins to highlight a few of the things Paul does in his introduction. Now, he opens with these words. He says, Paul called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes to the church of God in Corinth. To the church of God 
in Corinth. There is no other church in the New Testament that Paul addresses in this way. Uh, Elsewhere in his letters, you'll see to the saints in such and such a town, to the saints in Ephesus, to the saints in wherever. Uh, In Galatians, he says to the churches in Galatia. But nowhere else does he address the people as the church of God. Now, why does this matter? Am I splitting hairs here? Well, firstly, when he says this, it demonstrates that that Paul doesn't claim uh, Corinthian church to be his church. He's he's already distancing himself from his own uh, people group. It's not Paul's church. It's not Apollos' church or even Peter's for that matter. It's God's church. Uh, The fact that this phrase is used only here and in the beginning of 2 Corinthians by Paul, it tells you already that unity is on his mind, that they're a church belonging to the one and only creator God And therefore, they should worship in unity as a result. In fact, Paul doesn't even address them uh, as the plural church. So in in Galatians, for example, you get to the churches in Galatia. Here, it's singular, to the church in Corinth, the one church. In other words, he's, he's not going to validate the idea that they are a splintered set of gatherings but rather that they should be unified in the gospel. And if this isn't enough of a hint that they should all be united, Paul continues, uh, saying to the church of God in Corinth, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of the Lord Jesus, their Lord and ours. You can see it all comes together. He's presenting the idea that, that although we meet in different churches... Perhaps we have different denominations, different styles of liturgy. He's presenting the idea that together with all believers around the world, we are God's singular church. We worship together as the people of God, even with Christians in Thailand and all other parts of the world. We all keep our eyes on the one Jesus, or at least we should. In the rest of these uh, opening verses, Paul, uh, he unpacks uh, things about their giftings. He talks about their speech and their, their knowledge and other spiritual gifts. But then he goes on to say that they're all just that. They're all gifts. From who? From the one and only Jesus. Which means that, that Paul, when he gets to this rant about divisions in verses 10 to 12, his final plea is for them to turn their eyes off one another and to start refocusing on the person and work of Jesus. He hasn't been splintered. He hasn't been divided. He is the one that gave you all your gifts, so we should live in unity as a result. And so with this, we're going to press on to the third point, uh, three things about Christ which help us maintain unity. Now, some of you uh, know firsthand what it is like to get a fine in the mail, going back to that original illustration of using our mobile phones in the car, right? we know that when we do this, uh, when we break the law, the government comes down and they want to, to show us that we need to keep our eyes on the road, be paying attention to the signs, paying attention to all the different things. And so Paul here, he makes a few passionate arguments to refocus, to come back in, to pay attention to the signs, all the signs that point us to the person 
and work of Jesus. So firstly, in verse 13, uh, he's looking at the mess in Corinth and he's asking, is Christ divided? The obvious answer is no, of course not. Uh, Christ, he can't be portioned up and distributed among groups. You don't get one bit of him over here and one bit of him over there. You either have him or you don't. Jesus isn't fragmented. In fact, if anything, the fragmented ones are you and me. If there's anything that we should be kind of combining together and giving more of, it is us. We are the fragmented ones who should be allowing Christ to have more and more of us. The second point Paul makes against their disunity is to do with the cross of Christ. He argues, was Paul crucified for you? He's almost, when he asks this, obviously the answer is no. He's almost slapping them across the face here as he reminds them of the very first thing he says he taught them in chapter 2, verse 2, where he says, For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except what? Jesus Christ and him crucified. In other words, Paul was not crucified for them. Your favourite preacher was not crucified for you. They and you owe your brand new life, all your giftings and everything to the gracious work of God through Jesus Christ. Not Paul, not Apollos, not Tim Keller, not Don Carson, Christ. It's an interesting thing when, when someone comes up to preach. I don't know if you've had those moments where you see the person come to the pulpit and you might groan inwardly. I've done it. I think we all do it. Because instead of the marvellous, immaculate, well-groomed engineer Steve Blanco coming to the pulpit, who has wonderful illustrations about grass and lawns and pianos and all those things that make your heart sing, instead it was me. And if this is you, when, when you see a preacher walk to the pulpit and you groan a bit on the inside, then be careful that you don't run the risk of taking your eyes off Jesus. Don't let your preference of preacher blind you to your ongoing need for Jesus. This isn't to say you shouldn't be discerning when someone comes out. Uh, what comes out of the pulpit, you should be discerning, absolutely, but don't become proud about who you follow and who you listen to and feel the need to subscribe to absolutely everything that they are saying. Because all we have and all we are comes from Jesus. The last point Paul raises to combat their disunity is to remind the people of the lordship of Jesus. This is where he says, Were you baptised in the name of Paul? Now, baptism... Uh, as we see in the, the baptisms of John back in um, John 3.30, uh, it often involved becoming a disciple of that person, right? The baptizer was really important in some circles. But here, Paul is reminding them that it's really not about that. They have been baptized not into the name of Paul, but into the name of Jesus. They had become Jesus' disciples. Not Paul's, not Apollos's, not John's or Peter's. And it seems that, that baptism it had taken on board a particular significance in Corinth 
uh, one that perhaps it shouldn't have, especially when it came to the person who did the baptising. It seems perhaps to be like a claim to fame. Hey, look, I was baptised by Paul. Uh, Many of you who know me, you may have heard the story. I was baptised by Graham Goldsworthy. No joke. And I jokingly bring this up at college and anywhere else, anywhere where biblical theology is really important, I go, well, guess what? (laughs) I was baptised by Graham Goldsworthy. All that biblical theological knowledge, imputed. (laughs) It's not true. Everything is the gift of God. And this is why it's so helpful for Paul in verse 16, uh, who's, who's struggling. It's helpful to the Corinthians when Paul says in verse 16 that he's struggling to remember who he baptised. It's a strain to him to even remember that he baptised the household of Stephanus, if you look in the text. Paul knows this is not about him. Now, this isn't to downplay baptism. Uh, some see verse 17 as Paul saying that baptism isn't at all you know, that important. Uh, he says, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. It's strange, but that's not the point he's making. In fact, if anything, it's, it's the opposite. He's pointing out the significance of baptism by reorienting those baptized to the person they've been baptized into, namely Jesus and is reminding them that this is not an empty ceremony. They've all been baptised into the one Lord, the one Saviour, Jesus Christ, and so they're to act accordingly, unified as one church, not splintering, not fragmenting all over the place. Because at the end of the day, uh, when God uh, humbly uses us, uh, his human instruments to achieve his purposes... At the end of the day, uh, it's not ultimately about us. It's not ultimately about our gifts. Uh, God can give and, guess what, he can take away. And this means that all glory, even for those incredibly gifted churches like the ones in Corinth, all glory belongs to God alone. And our job as the church is to keep our eyes on the road, firmly fixed on Christ crucified with all his believers around the world. And so with this, may we pray uh, with all sincerity these amazing words from Psalm 115, verse 1. Not to us, Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory, because of your love and faithfulness. Amen.